0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the very last episode, the final episode of Star Trek Discovery's first season called Will You Take My Hand? I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy.
1: Yet another basically meaningless title from first season Discovery.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey.
1: Howdy,
2: Dom. (laughs)
0: Hi. <laughs> so uh, before we get into it, let's. Uh, I first want to tell everyone, make sure to join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. That's StarQuest, one word, to 66866. And I want to tell you about another show on the network that you're sure to enjoy called Let's Science. Every two weeks, you'll get an episode of about 20 minutes or so where you'll hear Caroline, Lindsay, and Lino talking about some topic in science that's usually a lot of fun. A uh, recent episode talked about the science of Christmas foods. So uh, check it out. Uh, one of the things they mentioned was that the average American consumes 7,000 calories on Christmas Day, which is mm. a lot and
1: oh, plausible. Not not possible for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, Jimmy, you're bringing that average uh, uh, down. So you can imagine how much some of us are eating. <laughs> right. As I
2: munched on some Christmas goodies right before recording this. So.
0: Mm. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. So let's talk about uh, the, this final episode of Star Trek Discovery's first season. Will you take my hand? Jimmy, do you have a, a recap for us? In the first season finale of
1: Star Trek Discovery, Emperor Giorgio has been put in command of the Discovery by Starfleet with the mission to end the war with the Klingons. Giorgio tells them that the plan is to use a drone to map a Klingon volcano network for a future Starfleet invasion of the Klingon homeworld. But the team learns that Giorgio is secretly planning to use a bomb to devastate the homeworld with the volcano network on orders from Starfleet. Michael confronts Admiral Cornwell with these facts, and the Discovery crew quietly mutinies with her to stop the plans from going forward. Since, you know, Adherence to Starfleet principles is more important than survival. Uh, Michael then uh, gets the bomb's controls from Giorgio and gives them to Lorel, so Lorel can force the Klingons to stop their war on the Federation. Implausibly, this works. So Starfleet annuls the previous legal proceedings against Michael, reinstates her to her rank as commander, and gives everybody medals. Ash Tyler then goes off with Lorel. Giorgio goes off as a rogue agent with her freedom, and the Discovery goes off to meet her new commander, Captain Pike of the Enterprise.
0: The end. <laughs> so, uh, apparently, it turns out that the plot of this particular episode was planned out well before the season began. They, this was where they always intended to go with mm-hmm. this season. Uh, it was, it, in fact, it was even more than plot. I think they even wrote this episode in, in basic form ahead of time. Mm. So they knew they wanted the uh, from what I read. They knew they wanted the war to end with morally difficult choices as they said, uh, which is do mm-hmm. we do we end the war by dropping the A bomb on the enemy or not. And that's
1: fine. I mean, they did that with the 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 Dominion War in mm-hmm. Deep Space 9. Yep, you know. Yep. Um I mean, the the Founders' plague that Section 31 created was crucial to winning that war.
0: Right, right. Uh, although DS nine, you know, uh, obviously, <laughs> well, I think it's obvious, did a better job of dealing with these ambiguous moral choices in war uh, than uh, well than Discovery ever did.
1: They did. Also, I mean, I'm fine if you want to have your ambiguous choices, but um, it needs to be plausible. Mm. And this yeah. this doesn't work because on, on the plausibility level, because they they. I mean, they've number one, you blow up the killing on home world. Well, I guess a, I guess blowing up one of their moons actually kind of brought their empire to the ground. But yes.
0: mm-hmm.
1: you'd think they're a spacefaring race. Blowing up their home world will make them mad, but it mm-hmm. will not cause them to to um to suddenly lose. Right. Right. Secondly, uh and this is the real implausibility, the main implausibility from my point of view. They have given Lorel no way to prove uh, that the box she's got will really <laughs> devastate their home world yeah. because they, she either uses it or doesn't. If she uses it, the home world is blown up, in which case her threat is ended. Yep. If she doesn't use it, then she can't prove that it'll do what she says it'll do. Right. So if someone came up to me and said, submit to me or I'm going to blow up Earth with this box I've got. I would like something kind of you know in the intermediate range to uh, to (laughs) to show me that you actually have this ability because I can't just give up to every crazy box wielder I encounter.
0: Right, like that's what my my note was. They laugh at her until she shows them a random piece of federation technology that she claims is some kind of weapon. Like, yeah, you know, oh, we might as well capitulate because we are such you know fearful, easygoing Klingons. Like Mm. the. It doesn't even it's not even really in character for Klingons to kind of back down at that point either. It was. Yeah, it was. uh, Well, the whole whole bomb itself,
2: too, was just kind of secondary to everything else that was going on in the episode. Um, And it was a hydro bomb. It wasn't even like a nuclear bomb or something like that. It was a water bomb. It It produced water.
0: Father Corey, it was a hydroxylic acid bomb. Which sounds <laughs> so much worse <laughs> For those who don't know hydrocylic acid is just a chemical name for water, but, <laughs> but yeah, it sounds
2: worse. It, it would have just and the idea was it would have because the volcanoes were actually alive, the caldera was still alive, they would basically produce so much steam the planet would crack like a from the inside out. That was yeah. the whole plot of this Seems that's a lot so- of steam pressure.
1: They did at least have an accurate scientific term in this. Um, Michael said that the bomb would create a phreatic explosion. And phreatic is the term for like an underground explosion involving a, you know, in, involving subterranean water and stuff like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I'm well, glad they, they, they did their well, That's a work, big at least one. in that part. But it was still yeah. stupid. Yeah. yeah. It was still pretty dumb. Uh, Well, the other thing the mentioned sort of behind the scenes bit is they always planned to have the Enterprise show up at the end of this episode. That was that was the plan from the beginning, because they knew they'd have to explain how Burnham is Spock's sister and Spock never mentioned her in all of the rest of Star Trek. So that was going to be the plan for season two from the beginning. Uh, Actually, that's
1: sort of a fan worry, but I don't see the real problem there. I mean. It is odd and it's nice to have an explanation although they gave us a stupid one at the end of uh, season 2. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we we know next to nothing about the families of any of the original series characters. They were so focused on their jobs. Yep. Th- they didn't give us detailed genealogies of these people.
0: Although of anyone, we did the, we knew the most most about Spock's family because we met his parents. I mean, we also had seen Kirk's brother was killed. So that was, yeah, that
1: we met but, Kirk's nephew. And, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, I mean, we, we know next very, very little. So, uh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't have had a problem. Although, given that she's human, I mean, you can explain. I, I, I need an explanation for why Surak adopted her. Mm-hmm. I don't need an explanation for why Spock never mentioned her.
0: Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, so the episode begins with Burnham giving this long voiceover. Uh, about this uh, on the eve of battle, and the soldier and the general and fear—is this something they? I couldn't figure, find any reference to this as a an old tale that they've adapted for this, or if it's the writer just you know wrote this.
1: I, I put it in the same category as the 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 alleged ostensible historical stories that priests frequently begin homilies with. <laughs>
2: what? You mean a priest, a rabbi, and a minister don't walk into a bar?
1: <laughs> oh. well, yeah. well, they so should more often. So that's the subcategory that's meant to be funny, but yeah. the the genre you know, of priest beginning a homily with a story of dubious historicity to make some kind of spiritual point is, which, but, is by, by a trope way. that I wish was taken out and squished like Mr. Oh,
2: Sweet. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. that Here's a hint to my brother priest, don't do that. People don't remember your homily. They remember your story. Uh, <laughs>
0: right. But yeah, Tell me
1: about the gospel. That's yep. what I'm there for. Jesus was a genius parable writer. Most yep. priests are not. Exactly. Let, just give me <laughs> Jesus' parable. Tell me about that.
0: <laughs> well, see, the, the Twelve Days of Christmas was a story made up as a underground catechism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyway, <laughs> far afield here. But uh so Yeah, So we get this whole opening sequence and Giorgio has come over from the mirror universe and Starfleet is so desperate that it's put Giorgio in charge of discovery, pretending she is Captain Giorgio from the Shenzhou um, and (laughs) acts really Terran as opposed to Starfleet. And, you know, we don't we don't refer to those animals as having a home there. And those Klingons are just animals. And like nobody raises an eyebrow (laughs) at this. Um, Well, they
1: do a little bit.
0: Yeah, they don't
1: openly challenge her.
0: Right. Although Burnham does try to expose who she really is, you know, on the bridge. Like, oh, where are you
1: from? I I think that's a warning shot across her bow. I don't think Mm -hmm. she's really trying to expose her. I think she's trying to give her a message that this will not this illusion will not hold up unless you're more circumspect.
2: No, I I agree with Jimmy on that, too. It's just kind of like, you know, shut up is basically what Burnham is saying.
1: Right. I, I right. do like they established Giorgio is from Malaysia. That was nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh and that she understands, yeah, she knows her own backstory that she can fit in. Um and Pulau so Langkawi is a real island. Yes. Right. So Giorgio and Burnham they they try to get info about the Klingon homeworld about Kronos from Larell because they're looking for like a particular location <laughs> and she won't reveal it even under torture oh. because Klingon <laughs> this was so
1: stupid. Yeah, I have in my notes, asking Lorel where to land is stupid, mm-hmm. parentheses, can't trust, close parentheses. Right. I mean, yeah. she is a Klingon ideologue. Do you, she's not going to tell you where to land to carry out your secret anti-Klingon <laughs> Starfleet mission. Not even right. if you beat her up, is she going to do? You couldn't. She'll just make something up. Exactly. Uh, she's going to tell you the worst place to go.
0: Right, well, right,
2: land right in the middle of the council chambers. That'll go well for you, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There's a base that I want you to go to. So they end up going to Ash because Tyler has all of Vox memories, um, and there's this whole uh, it kind of. And there,
1: there's a little bit of sustain in that. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. in that scene because he what he says is he's willing. He still Ash still has Vox knowledge, but he identifies as human, and he's willing to share Vox knowledge for. And he means Michael, but he mm-hmm. says Starfleet, right? Yes,
0: yes. And and he's, and it's this interesting duology. This is one of the more interesting aspects of this season. Was this duology in Tyler, who is Valk? He's not. There's no question that this guy is a Klingon named Valk, but he's been so messed with mentally that he he's convinced I am this human guy named Ash Tyler, who has the memories of a of another person called Valk. And yeah. that's an he's, interesting character.
1: He's Swamp things still thinking he's Alec Holland, right?
0: <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I find that an interesting. I, I mean, of of all the characters, I, I found that interesting. Um, some of the the extended um, mooning over things is less interesting to me. But as far as the character goes, it's interesting.
1: I found the I found your brand new baby word uh, duology interesting there. <laughs> Duality is the one that uh, yes, that sorry. already exists in England, but you've made an interesting contribution here. Uh, if it's if it's based on typical Greek roots, duology would be the study of the number two.
0: Would it be or two words? Would it be also two words? Because this uh, the, the actually what I did was I took the the, the uh, word for a uh, two books uh, series of books mm-hmm. that's a book told in two stories, yeah. uh, two two volumes. Is it a trilogy? It's a trilogy du- duology. Yeah. yeah. I know, I know. That's I, I have a, I have a talent for grabbing the uh, Malaprop. <laughs> mm. Anyway, he. It, oh, he,
1: it when It. I, I, I can sympathize when I've been like in Israel and I'm uh-huh. talking to Arabs, and a- Arabic and Hebrew are both Semitic languages. And if I if I'm trying to remember the Arabic word for something and I can't, I find myself instinctively reaching for the Hebrew word, <laughs> Oops. and I have to stop myself. No, that's the Hebrew word. Let's not use that when we're talking to to uh, Arabs who may not be
0: particularly
1: friendly to Hebrew speakers.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's true. That's much more dangerous a proposition, or much more difficult proposition. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, Ash gives them the the lowdown on where the volcanic chimneys are located. Uh, you know the the first one is in the like you said, Jimmy, in the middle of the High Council chamber. Or actually, I think Father Corey said that in the yep. middle of the High Council chamber in the capital. That's not a good one. They end up going to, finding this place that's uh, an abandoned temple to Molor, which has been had an Orion settlement built over it. Uh, so Orion, so, sort of like. Um, like you had in colonial a- era in the in Asia, we had like British settlements built in India or like Macau or uh, Goa, which were the Portuguese settlement, that sort of thing. So it's sort and, of like and, a trading post.
1: Yeah, and Molor was um, it's it, it's kind of Orion Town mm-hmm. instead of yeah. like Chinatown. Yes, but Molor is a character from Klingon mythology that we've heard about ever since Next Generation. He was like. The twin brother, if I recall correctly, of Kalus, who was his original rival, and then Kalus killed him.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. if he was one of
2: the gods that the Klingons killed. Apparently, so.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there was a whole thing about Kalis killed the the uh, the Klingon gods, and that's why they follow Kalis or something like that. Um, uh, so they go to the 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 uh, right, Settlement. They bring Tilly along at the request of Giorgio, who, for some reason, uh, nostalgia for Captain Kelly. Yeah, I.
1: She likes her. I, you know, see some <laughs> similar potential in her. I like how Tilly is totally freaked out when she realizes yeah. it's Giorgio. I mean, it's the Emperor, and she she realizes that really fast once yeah. they're alone. That you're the Emperor, Giorgio, aren't you? Yeah. And she it reflexively, she's so unnerved. She reflexively starts to give her the Terran salute. <laughs> Yeah. You know, yes. where you hit your chest and stick your hand out. <laughs> yeah. And and Michael is like, don't do that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that, I, was, I, that was actually a really good moment. That was fun. I,
2: I like during that conversation where, of course, Tilly is like, no, I can't do it. Not going to do it. And George was trying to get her, trying to convince her, calls her Killy. Yes. Just one point calls her Killy. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. She says that uh, Georgia
0: tells her you look so much like her younger, maybe, but all that killing ages a person then she says of her hair oh these are hideous of course and until he's like yeah i know what's happening <laughs> <It was laughs> such a good moment and, and then in the next scene <laughs> Killy no longer has the frizzy hair yep yes she has uh, her hair has been straightened for their uh voyage down to the uh, surface and so they end up walking through the uh, marketplace and uh, i i thought it was very interesting at one point they show someone like grilling so like a you know a, a marketplace food street stand. food yep street food and someone's grilling setty eels. I don't know if you notice that, but I kind of I backed up to look at it. They look very much like the setty eels that conch yes. of oh into, yeah, they, well, they, ear. they were. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And then someone
1: else <laughs> is grilling something that looks like big shark steaks, and Killy eats, Tilly eats it and says it's delicious until she finds out it's gourmigander.
0: Yep, <laughs> right. Apparently, the actresses, b- uh, b- the Sidney uh um martin green burnham and tilly i I, I forget the names anyway the actresses are both vegetarians and so Mm. i I heard a very interesting uh interview with the on the the onset caterer i guess who creates Mm. prop food for many shows talking Mm -hmm. about how she created the prop food that made that looked just like meat but it was made from like coconut and all these other things and in Mm -hmm. fact uh, the actresses enjoyed it so much they wanted some for lunch later, <laughs> even though they had to pretend they didn't like it. It was very funny. Uh, but it's interesting uh, that that idea of like prop food—you oh, yeah. you, you don't think about it—but that's an in- interesting part of things. Um, so they go into uh, this club at Giorgio's prompting, and uh, Giorgio goes off and does something gross, and uh, you know mm-hmm. doesn't bear much talking about. It. But Ash and uh, and and uh, Burnham they go to get some information and ash wants to play this klingon craps i guess it's sort mm-hmm. of like a dice game but mm-hmm. klingon and uh very much it, like it's called eases. Dis-
1: it's it's called destroy them or something like that yeah
0: <laughs> yes yeah right and uh he goes right back into character like as in, in the literally the sense of he becomes valk he gets the the voice go, comes right out he acts and behaves very klingon-ish and that really n- you know, makes Burnham recoil. Like, mm-hmm. reminders her of who he really is. So, and then he kind of tries to, you know, say, "Well, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not becoming Vok. I'm just trying to ingratiate myself with them." And then she mm. tells the story of her, um, how her parents died, which doesn't match up with what they eventually do in the third season? season, the Red Angel. Yeah, no,
1: it, it, the Red Angel season. That's season yeah. two.
0: Yep. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. That's I, I get them confused. But it mm. doesn't exactly match up. Because like, from what she says here is, the Klingons showed up, they killed her dad right away, and then took their time killing her mom as she watched, and then they sat down to eat the dinner that had been left on the table. But that's not, I don't recall that's what happened in season two too when they showed it is it
1: no because her mom survives Um, right but I forget if they have an explanation for that but even if they don't you could say this is her traumatic memory of what happened and she's believed her parents are dead and this is the memory she made up to explain it
0: okay Uh, apparently that whole idea of how Burnham's parents died uh, came from a tie-in novel it was interesting that they incorporated Hmm. it back into the Hmm. canon with you know the on-screen stuff um, then we get to see the actor who holds the record yes. for the longest span of time from first appearance to most recent appearance yes. in Star Trek, Clint uh-huh. Howard. Clint yeah, Howard.
2: best scene, best scene of the of, of the of the of se- the season, right there. So
1: Clint, <laughs> Cl- Clint Howard is Ron Howard's brother and Rams yep. Howard's son, mm-hmm. and he played the kid who drinks Tranya. Um or uh,
0: Baylock Baylock yeah in the Corbomite Maneuver in and, TOS. and
1: in, in the original series he's he's getting uh he's getting Captain Kirk and the others smashed on Tranya, and here he's getting <laughs> Tilly smashed on volcanic
0: smoke yep <laughs> that's right that's right 51 years between the two appearances so yeah, and
2: he's, uh, and he's been in uh, he was in Enterprise and DS9 both I can't yep. I don't think he was in TNG though but he was in those other two series
0: yeah. He yeah. was also
2: in Fringe where
1: he mm-hmm. he plays a uh he plays a crazy person who thinks that like Star Trek is real and the Romulans are invading. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. That's awesome. Uh I don't I didn't remember that. Uh, I have to go watch F- Fringe again. Um yeah, he he was only in those uh he was in TOS, DS9 and Enterprise before this. So, yep. uh, g- good on Clint Howard. He, he uh, definitely uh, then, he always
2: kind of plays different characters, but it's because he is kind of a different looking character to begin with. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
0: he's
1: he's listed in the credits as creepy Orion, and he plays that part well. Yep.
0: Right. Because he because uh, t- Tilly gets high and he knocked out and she wakes up to him with a, uh, a, a and, cutting and she device. Does,
1: she, she doesn't do it willingly. She's yeah. initially trying to say no, but she realizes she's going to blow her cover if she doesn't go along and accept some of the smoke.
0: Yep, Right. And she's got the drone control, which she thinks is the drone itself, but it's the bomb control, uh, handcuffed to her wrist, and she wakes up to him trying to cut the handcuff off. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? Cut it out. He's like, well, I'm an Orion. What do you expect? (laughs) You were asleep.
2: I'm an Orion. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. So so she escapes from that. That was actually a fun scene. Um, They discover that, this is where she opens the case and discovers that it's not a drone. It's a hydro bomb. Silliest e- explosive ever. And, um,
1: it's like in Star Trek where, uh, Star Wars, where Han Solo is asking for
0: a hydro manner. You want a water wrench?
1: Really? <laughs> on your spaceship?
0: Well, maybe it's hydraulics for, yeah, never mind. Yeah, it's, it's a dumb term. <laughs> like yep. parsecs as a, as a time, distance. Uh, yes. So, uh, then we have uh, Giorgio dropping the the drone bomb uh in inside the ruined temple in down a well, and it I saw someone point out a very interesting parallel there, where, as in the very first episode of the series, you mm-hmm. have the the original Giorgio shooting a weapon into a well to end a drought and bring life through water. Mm-hmm. This oh, Giorgio wow. is dropping a weapon in a well to kill everything w- through water, so it's an interesting Ooh. parallelism that they provided there.
1: It is. There's also an interesting, or I think, conscious parallelism, and that one may be conscious. But I think there's another, very conscious parallelism here, in that in the original two-parter, Michael mutinied alone, mm-hmm. which which caused things to go very badly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. here she's she's learned how to mutiny together. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: all about togetherness. Right.
0: Right. Right. Yes. The uh, the that was kind of amusing was the everyone stepping up. Um, and but it's not muting against Giorgio in this case. It's muting against Cornwell. Starfleet because of the, yeah, yes. Uh, they act in unison that like this is wrong. Michael the has gotten thing, more ambitious in her mutinying. <laughs> <laughs> she while well, she mutinied to start a war, she's trying to mutiny to stop. Uh, well, to stop the end of the war, I guess to keep the war going is, is the mm. implication. There's also a, a moment where when she's talking to to a- Ash after he did his walk thing she said i'm very upset right now she tells him the story about how her parents died and she says what bothers me isn't that i i see you acting like a klingon what bothers me right now is i've started to see these klingons as people not just animals like giorgio had been talking about earlier um you know because she'd held on to the hate for so long um she she had dehumanized them or De personified them i don't know how you decented to I,
1: I don't see a basis for her viewing klingons more positively
0: i think seeing them just living as regular people not like soldiers or you know that sort yeah. of thing but seeing regular klingons yeah I, I
1: don't think it's been set up right
0: i don't think there's enough of that like see families and kids walking in the market and yeah you know, that sort of thing would have been a little more convincing but yeah. in any case um when they yeah, have the go, mutiny go,
1: go into the Klingon brawl bar, where you know, yeah, it, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not really gonna unenforce the violent warrior enemy stereotype going through her head.
0: Exactly. I went to a biker bar, and now I see people as humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not 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 likely. Uh, so when they confront Cornwall, and they have their little mutiny against Cornwall, she she retorts, "We don't have the luxury of principles." And Burnham gets to say, it's all we have. <laughs> it's just yeah. like so, yeah, such on-the-nose writing.
2: She gets it's, some good speechifying in this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of... <laughs> and um, by
2: good, I assume that's ironic. Yes, it is. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I One of my thoughts was, you know, because they have this medal scene where even though they've all just mutinied because they won somehow, the, they all get medals and promotions yeah. and things like that. And I'm going. Star Wars: A New Hope did this medals thing so much better because yeah. they they have Michael speechifying over the whole thing, and it's like, no, come on, just have a princess put medals on him with fantastic <laughs> music and cut to credits. That's all. Yeah, that, that would be much better.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, even in in, uh, in previous Star Trek uh, you know movies where they've had uh, medals given out you know to Kirk and the the rest that sort of thing. I think that was in star trek four Four. i think at the end of four uh because they saved earth Uh, Mm -hmm. they they didn't have again this this speechifying they just gave them medals and then there was talking afterward which we have here but it's like you know you're right i mean it's just they have to have burnham standing on a soapbox all the time so uh they get their medals everything is it's you know is brought back to the awesome conclusion that everyone is now in good graces Uh, that was a bit ironic. And then she meets with Amanda and Sarek outside the, the medal ceremony. Um, Sarek admits that he agreed, originally agreed to the genocide plan, which is kind of, you know, the genocide of the Klingons plan, which is Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Uh, it
1: wasn't really, I mean, it was, it would be horribly immoral, but it wouldn't have been genocide. There would have still been Klingons. right?
0: Right, 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 right. Um, then, uh, sarek's the one who gets to tell her that she's been pardoned and reinstated um she in the metal speech actually that's in my notes she says we have to be torchbearers of the light which is an interesting (laughs) use of that term
1: yeah Yeah, because that's what vok
0: said he was i wonder if that was intentional i'm
1: pretty sure it was it was an attempt to be deep yeah
0: they were evoking him yeah um sorry for the pun um so they're sent off to vulcan to go pick up their new captain and uh then they but on the way they get a priority one distress call and there's all kinds of dramatic who is this from and what ship is coming to meet them and i have to say when i first saw this it was actually kind of awesome to see the enterprise mm-hmm. swooping in uh like that and showing up And and, and uh, I, I really did uh like seeing the the enterprise there and what it does is it 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 ushers in what's the best season of of Discovery of all, anyway, yeah. which is the second season with Pike. Um, yeah, but uh, then they end with the Alexander Courage theme from the original series, which is also mm-hmm. really nice ending. Although I kind of was hoping they would have like a like they did in the original series, where they put up pictures, like still images from the episodes, and they would put up an image of Clint Howard as the Orion, because uh, that's how uh, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, be that cool. was, yeah in that that the original cool. series was Baylock that would have been a lot of fun yeah but uh, no,
2: i agree with you dom when i f- first saw this you know a couple years ago when it first uh was released you know of course it's ticking off you know n c c you know of course i gotta <laughs> amp up the drama by the data's coming yeah. through slowly one seven you know and it's like as soon as it's one seven zero one, it's like oh no way <laughs> <You know>? yeah,
0: <laughs> it, yeah was cool. was, it was cool that was kind of awesome yeah so uh so that, that's what I have, uh, Father Corey. Any notes on this episode?
2: Nothing else here. I'm glad we're done with the first season of discovery.
0: Yeah, and Jimmy, how about you? Which,
1: which means we're really kind of done with discovery in any substantial form because yeah. we're right. not doing the first, the fourth season episode by episode.
2: No.
0: Yeah, and uh, as that seems to have borne out as as I think Father Corey has been watching it as, as yes. episode by episode as I have been, and uh, not not really all that impressed. yeah as as we record
2: this we're kind of in the middle of the season and it's not there's not even enough plot to talk about it episode by episode not even talking about how bad the episodes are the standing
0: around emoting at one another has got has reached a fever pitch yep so yeah interesting elements but yeah
1: one thing i wanted to give discovery a bit of credit for uh, compared to other star trek series is is the fact that we have these shifting captains um where cuz we start out with lorca mm-hmm. and then we have an interim captain of saru and and then we get captain pike and then we have saru as interim captain again and then we have uh burnham in the fourth season and while that's rapid for uh for real life commands you don't have a static crew Throughout the throughout the lifetime mm-hmm. of a military vessel, you have officers coming and going, including the captain. And right. you know you're you're typically going to be assigned, and it'll vary from service to service how long your hitch is. But you're typically going to have an, a, a captain ha, ha, be assigned for a certain period of time, and he's not going to stay there the rest of his career. He's either going right. to move up or out, and and so having having this uh, turnover in captains is actually a bit more realistic than what we've seen in other Star Trek series.
0: You know, what's interesting, too, is when the series started, one of the big selling points, the shticks, was we're not going to be following the captain of the crew. We're going to be following another member of the crew. Like, our viewpoint character is going to be, and it turns out to be Burnham. Um, But by the fourth season, they've kind of given up on that, and Burnham is now the captain. (laughs) It's just kind of like, you got to follow a captain that's just makes it when you if you if you setting is a ship a military ship let's be honest the captain is going to be the most interesting character cuz they're going to be involved in the most interesting things going on so well uh, i mean may uh,
1: the way but, star trek is set up but not the yeah. way not the way stargate is set up right. cuz general hammond is is the commander but we focus yeah. on the on the away team right
0: i guess i guess with stargate i would you know hammond feels more like you know he's general so he feels like more of like an admiral but he's in every episode so it's yeah you're right close. you're right pretty close yeah, yeah he's not our
1: viewpoint true. character our our viewpoint yeah. characters are the away team right well that's and the obvious star
0: trek yeah the obvious star trek counterpoint to that is also lower decks which follows mm-hmm. non-bridge yeah. officers yeah um so uh, I, I, I take that point i take that point you could you could do an interesting se- uh, series that doesn't follow the captain i guess yeah well, in any case, that, that does bring to a close our discussion of Discovery. And, you know, who, I mm-hmm. haven't heard if if, uh, if there is going to be a season five of Discovery. To be honest, I'm kind of hoping they're done with Discovery and they can mm-hmm. shift those resources to other Star Trek stuff. That and, might
1: be more enjoyable. Like, yes. everything else they've done in the new Star Trek era <laughs> is more enjoyable than this.
0: Yes. Uh, there's that. The Michelle even Picard. Yeo. Right, right. Even for whatever criticisms we have it is it has been better um there's the michelle yo starbase thir- uh, not starbase section 31, section 31. Mm-hmm. yeah series that they talked about that would captain be
1: the strange new world's
0: captain pike series oh i'm so looking forward to that. that that i hope that's really good and this like this talk and who knows well that that looking at what disney has done with star wars on disney plus looking at what marvel has done with you know the marvel cinematic universe that They've got this property that they really should be doing more with. And so there's talk of even more Star Trek in our immediate future movies and TV shows. So it would be interesting to see. Hopefully, I'm kind of hoping they bring in some new blood to run things and maybe have <laughs> a little different focus of the their attitude towards Star some, Trek.
1: Or some old blood. Bring back <laughs> Ira Stephen Bear and Ronald Moore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. Even with. Like I don't agree with Iris Stephen Bear's take on a, a lot of things but I DS9 yeah, I, was the best series. I I, I know mm-hmm. I
1: agree. I and and unfortunately there would be woke flaws in any modern series but there would be better
2: storytelling.
0: Exactly. <laughs> That's right. I could deal with it.
2: Yeah. And I, I by so. the way I did find I'm just doing a real quick search on on Google that there planning for season five but it has not been officially renewed yet
0: mm. that's be, the best i, I can find it, so. i wonder if they're holding back to see how this season does as a whole as you exactly know, viewership
2: but yeah I, I agree that it would be nice to see a, a change in leadership in uh the star trek tv series uh now kind of like doctor mm-hmm. who you know cause we're we're talking doctor who that there's gonna be a new showrunner here well a returning showrunner mm-hmm. in a couple of years and it might be nice yep. to see star trek kind of take the same idea of okay it's time we've been doing this for a while it's time to refresh
0: you know i wonder like discovery had a really difficult beginning they had mm-hmm. you know they started creating it then they went back to the drawing board and they they had the the previous showrunner leave and come back and maybe that do you think that that had an uh, an impact on whether you, on the, the lifetime of the show and how uh, the problems it has, or do the, would those problems have been there regardless, given the, the how they set it up?
1: It's hard to say, but some of them certainly would have been there from how they set it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the you know one of the just visual turnoffs mm-hmm. was oh we've got to have new different looking Klingons. No, we don't. Yeah. yeah, not not if it's
0: not if it's at
1: best a lateral
0: trade, right? right. At best. Yeah, it never yeah. made sense to me why, they and, you did know, it, except for novelty's sake.
2: So many things we complain about in season four that you and I, Dom, have discussed offline yeah. about season four have been Could, here in their
0: infancy here in
2: season one. You know, yeah, they, they, they are very much um, a part of the DNA of the show. And that's been kind of our continuing complaint. Season two kind of broke that mold a little bit, but it was still there. And then season mm-hmm. three and four, they just ramped it back. So I... I I think the, the, the problems with the showrunners affected season one. We, we've talked about that many times before, but not, um, not to the level that it affected the entire series. You know, I kind of got the feeling when, at least when they first started talking about Discovery, that it was meant to be kind of a let's reboot the idea of having Star Trek TV series and then it's going to go away eventually. And so maybe that's the plan. That was the plan all along. But, of course, if they're talking about, again, doing a season five that they haven't decided yet when they're going to make it go away.
1: I think there was originally like a five-year plan Mm, for the series that the original showrunner had that kind of they've actually adhered to because it was going to involve Discovery jumping forward through time. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how off course they are. I think part of the problem, it's it's not simply all the political junk that's Mm -hmm. in this. Uh, the culture war stuff, it, that's there, but I think it's also just, I think it's partly the generation of writers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are, I think they're, I think that broadly speaking, they're younger writers and they have this kind of therapeutic, fragile, woke approach to things that is just out of step with the heroic brand of fiction that star trek Mm -hmm. involves and that's why they that's why we have all this togetherness nonsense and emotional therapy going on on screen instead of straight ahead storytelling Mm -hmm. because i i think it there is it has been a generational shift in america at least i can't say for other countries but in america at least the 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 generation that are now young adults Lived a much more sheltered existence than previous generations. And they have not been encouraged to stand on their own two feet and deal with their own problems. They have been encouraged to rely on others and have a kind of constant stream of affirmation and therapy happening. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, someone's going to, someone, I already hear them going to their keyboard to object. Well, not me. Of course, this well, is a generalization. And, and, yeah,
1: this is a yeah, no, no, not yeah. everybody, but right. there has been a that has been a characteristic of the generation that is currently young adults,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they're the ones who are getting the you know entry level TV writing gigs in Hollywood.
0: Right. Yeah, the Gen X storytelling had its issues as well. There were there were some clear problems with things made by that generation. Um, I think it evens out over time, and so hopefully, as this generation, young generation of writers grows, they will <laughs> even out some of this this uh, aspect of of their their writing personality. Maybe, but uh, but,
1: but yeah. on the other hand, I mean, these things do tend to self correct unless your civilization destroys itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it, the way they tend to correct is you encounter some big, huge tragedy that forces people to become self-reliant again. I mean that's yep. the depression did that. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. why our that's why our grandparents generation was the way it was because and they lived World war II. Yeah. yeah. They lived through the depression and World War II and they had yep. to be very self-reliant and not not super squishy therapeutic fragile people. And and I don't know if our because the super squishy therapeutic fragile people model is enabled Mm-hmm. by conditions of peace and prosperity. And when peace and prosperity go away, people have to toughen up and 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 become self-reliant. Right. And as, as to the extent our society remains peaceful and prosperous, we may get ever more fragile, ever more fragility mm-hmm. on the part of people because they're not having to confront life lessons that would cause them to toughen up. Right. Right. Right, yeah, if you're right. if you're
2: literally if you're literally fighting for survival, whether it's due to like the Great Depression, the war, whatever it might be, poverty, you're not worried about somebody else's feelings, and they're not yeah. worried about
1: yours. When when it's really <laughs> survival time, it's like we have to survive. I don't give an anything about your feelings right now. Yeah, this is yeah. not time for therapy. This is time for saving our butts.
2: Let's let's make sure we're right. we've got enough food to survive. Let's make sure we got shelter, all this stuff, and then we'll talk <laughs> about your yeah. feelings. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah.
0: So has there been something like mean, we're kind of getting a far field from Star Trek but has there been a something for boomers or xers that would be like something that the greatest generation dealt no. with? I don't think so. Mm, yeah. Nothing.
1: I mean so, 9/11 could have been if things had gone much worse and we had mm-hmm. like gotten into a mm-hmm. into an active World War 4. After that? Right. But uh, but it didn't end up going that way. It turned out that yeah. America was so resilient as mm-hmm. a society, that that the the war on terror ended up largely being a distraction. And, yeah. I mean, it, it for all the sacrifice and everything that was made in that, America went on humming in a way it did yeah. not have the option to do during the Great Depression or World War II or the Civil War. Right. Right. And so this generation hasn't been confronted by tough realities. They've always been
2: sheltered. And I, I would argue that for for boomers and Gen X's that just the the background of the Cold War being a stress on mm-hmm. their generations, yep. mm-hmm. could, did help as far as you know putting things yeah. in more in, in in proportion. Um, that that isn't there today because you know let's be honest, you know, we, we when we think of our military, we think of it's it's pretty much, it yeah yeah it might not do too well in places like Afghanistan, but nobody's going to attack the homeland. Hopefully, right.
1: Hopefully that is a, that should be a concern, but give it 20 years. And, and if things are mismanaged as badly as they have been recently, right, you
2: got to, you got to look out for those things.
0: Yeah. Right now, no sane leader attacks, but
2: yeah, but I mean, so it's, it's, I, I, I mean, our generations, again, the boomers, the Gen Xs, which we're all, we're all kind of in that range. We we've had that kind of that background, but it's it's been background noise. It hasn't been yeah. you know something right immediate in our face for much of it, anyways. Mm-hmm. But that's not even there now.
0: It's yeah, it would be tough to explain to younger generations the existential dread that kind of was a background noise of the mm-hmm. of the Cold War and nuclear shore yeah. destruction. That sort exactly. of thing. So because
2: yeah, well, yeah, Russia. Russia during the Cold War was one push of a button, and boom. And uh, we came close to some button pushing a few times. Yeah, on oh, both yeah. sides, oh, yeah. yeah. And now Russia is, well, Russiagate. They they messed with yeah. the, not to get into the politics of it, but that's the, that's the narrative of they messed with our elections. That's about as yeah. bad as Russia's Every, gotten. Everybody in, messes with everybody's elections. Exactly. Yeah. We've messed in Russia's elections, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Way more so, than Russia's. Yep. So bring yeah,
0: bringing this back to the Star Trek though, that I think that um c- going forward we've got the uh, second season of Picard, we've got The Promise of uh, we have a second season of uh, or a or third season of Lower Decks coming, we've got the promise of uh, Strange New Worlds all somewhere in 2022. We've talked about this before. Uh so yep. those are all coming. Um look at, and of course the uh second half of the season of Prodigy as well. Uh, exactly. So those are all coming. We'll be talking about all of those things. In fact, we, I think Whenever I think this episode drops after the we've talked about Prodigy, we, we're recording these in advance, so I think yep. we, you'll hear uh, our discussion of those right, next yeah. five episodes of Prodigy before you hear this. Anyway,
1: next but, time on Star Trek, Grumpy Old Man. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. We, we I we mean will that be, that,
1: uh, that yeah. episode we recently recorded where they with the the knock, whatever that was called.
0: Oh, Survivors. Hmm.
1: Survivors. Yeah. That's essentially, get off of my lawn! Yeah.
0: <laughs> Literally, get <laughs> off of my lawn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we we promise not to be grumpy old men all the time. We, this is so much good Star Trek to, to talk about, too. And that's the thing is, is, I love having new Star Trek, but I love talking about the old stuff, too. Oh, I yeah. want to get into more of this, you know, DS9's Dominion War stuff and all that, the, you know, the uh, later seasons of TNG There's a lot of good Star Trek out there to talk about. There's still
2: a lot of TOS I haven't seen, so I'm looking forward to when we can get into those.
0: I mean, Spock's brain is coming up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't seen it, but I know about that one.
1: There's still a lot
0: of good.
2: One of
1: the best theories that I've read, just to keep it in mind, is that because it was by Gene Kuhn, and Gene L. Kuhn was a fantastic writer for Star Trek. He was really good, and the theory is or one of the theories is that Spock's brain was meant to be parody mm. ah. and because it was meant to be a humor episode, and because of shifts that were happening with the showrunner and Freddie Freiberg ended up coming in as the third season showrunner that it it, it, it didn't end up working the way it was intended. Mm. <laughs>
0: that would be would have been a much better episode if they had a little of uh uh clarinets of of humor in their different points that yeah. have worked better
1: yeah because humor could work on star trek i mean you you know yeah. the trouble with tribbles and shore leave and things oh, yeah. like that and Definitely. spock's brain was meant to be a kind of parody is the claim but it got messed up in the execution because Kuhn wasn't directly involved
0: and they were they played yep. it too straight yeah, yeah. all right well Again, uh, uh, let's uh, wrap things up here and wrap up our discussion of discovery here. And we do want to stop to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Star Trek, including Ryan, Tobias B, Olivia A, Zach G, and Matthew C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we, of course, like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of Will You Take My Hand, this last episode of Discoveries for a Season. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek, or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the original series episode the Squire of Gothos, and we answer the question, is he Q? Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Akin, thank you as well.
1: Don't overpromise what we're going to be able to answer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest, and remember, hail from Captain Pike, sir. It's the USS Enterprise.